1: You'll be excited to hear it all. It's The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480, WHBC.
2: Okay, we're going to do our contest right now. We didn't have our contest music, but... Oh, there it is! There it is, our contest music. Where did that come from? I don't know what our prize is, though, John.
3: Oh, 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 oh! I do know what our prize is. Hold on, hold on. Hold I wish up. I did, but I don't know. Hold up. I have to tell. Okay, people. so the prize for Saturday, Pam had emailed us last night. Right. Uh, so one pair of Cleveland Indians tickets for a to be determined game this coming season. It's not opening day. Okay. So, so, to be determined. So,
2: a pair of tickets to a Cleveland Indians game to be determined. Yes. By whom? By
3: us, I guess. When okay. when we get the winner, we will tell them and we will contact them when the Indians tickets are here.
2: All right. So, you'll get tickets to the Indians game. So, somewhere. somewhere. To be determined.
3: At a later date. It could actually be at the old Municipal Stadium. I doubt that. That's gone.
2: Well... you could sit in the grass
3: the great stadium in the sky so i
2: hear you so here's what here's what we're going to do since the daytona 500 is tomorrow whoa the start of the neck car season Uh,
3: the neck car yes (laughs) red neck car oh neck car (laughs) you know you only turn one direction i know left turn so
2: here, here are the questions. It's a NASCAR theme. The first answer, later on in the show, I'm going to give you questions, and you're going to have to match these up, and you will win the pair of tickets to the Cleveland Indians game. Do be determined! The first answer is 1948. The second answer is Charlotte Speedway. Oh. The third answer is 7 seven so first answer is 1948 charlotte speedway is number two and seven is number three it's a neck car theme so we're gonna do that later on i'll give you the questions if you can match them up you get a pair of tickets to the cleveland
3: indians game to be determined i love going back and looking at like previous daytona 500 winners because some of the names that you see are, are quite interesting. Yes. Like Tiny Lund. Yeah, you don't have those anymore. No, you don't get that. Fireball no. Roberts, I think, Juan. <laughs> I'm not even lying. There was a famous NASCAR Fireball driver named Roberts. Fireball Roberts. He actually died. Well, you know that's, I mean, so that's did Tiny that. Lund.
2: So, so, John, I have to get into this with you. Uh, big story in sports this week. was the Browns signing Kareem Hunt. Now... There was an interview of a lady. I don't know who this lady is, but
3: Maria Taylor
2: from Mar- ESPN. Okay. And this is what she said about that signing. And and just just play.
4: Initially just disappointed because I think that this is another example of treating domestic violence or the mistreatment of women as a character flaw that can basically be cured. I mean, we're not talking about abusing PEDs, we're not talking about drug abuse where you're only hurting yourself. Uh, We're talking about whether or not women feel protected. Think about how difficult it is for a victim to come forward and say, hey, this happened to me. There's video evidence in this situation. And still, you know, the Browns have decided that we can rehabilitate this person back. At what point is there a zero tolerance for a situation like this? At what point do you draw the line in the sand and say, this is the one thing that we will not allow um, in my program, in
2: our league? So she went on to say, basically, she was talking about Now, here's a question I have for you, John. And I have this question for listeners, too. She said, she made the statement, we're looking at domestic violence as if it were a character flaw that can be cured. So basically, she's saying people who commit domestic violence can never be cured. Is that true? I mean are we are we actually saying that you get a second chance on if you're a drug addict you could be cured, you could be if you're if you have any other problems, mental problems, those can be treated and you can get over those. But domestic violence is uncurable. That's basically what she's saying.
3: Yeah, and and maybe the wording of that was not the best. Um, I do believe people can be redeemed, if you will, and given a second chance and given a second opportunity. Um, I, I just think that it's tougher when it comes to domestic violence because it's something then that's always going to be carried with you on a record. Not that drugs aren't. And yeah, not- but
2: if it's carried on a record is one thing. But to say that that he can't be helped and he can never redeem himself yes. and he can never become a a I mean look at Chris Carter. Now Chris Carter didn't commit domestic violence, but he had drug and alcohol problems and he and Chris Carter is a fine man today. He yeah. came out of it. Is it are you are you basically if domestic violence are we and I, I are we damning them to hell, basically, saying you you can't ever come back, you can't ever redeem
3: yourself, you're done? I do believe it's a very slippery slope that you're on there with domestic violence, because the thing that I felt about at midweek was that in sports, we so often take domestic violence and I don't want to say gloss over it, but we give a harder suspension for someone who uses performance enhancing drugs than we do someone who commits domestic violence. Whereas if you do PEDs, that's just you being an idiot for, you know, juicing up. If you hit a woman, you know, and commit domestic violence like that is a very strong character flaw. That's something that you committed, you know, and I guess that's what bothers me about it is that in this whole thing like Addison Russell the player for the uh uh Chicago Cubs the shortstop he's coming back after a 40 game suspension last year for domestic violence but someone just the year before who was found for PEDs was suspended like 90 games it's like so i guess in my mind it's like what's more serious it's like josh gordon but but i i agree with this i agree with you
2: i do agree with you on that that's a great point but let's get back to should Kareem Hunt be allowed a second chance? can he be rehabilitated to the point where he is not that person any longer
3: I do yes, believe, or no, I do believe there is an opportunity for him to be redeemed
2: so was John Dorsey wrong or right for
3: giving him a second chance? I believe John Dorsey had every right to give him a second chance. Okay. Here's- I'm not I'm not saying that he's I'm not saying that he's wrong or that he's right cuz I think he just had every reason to give him a second chance. He he didn't have a reason not to. He didn't have a reason to give him a second chance. It was basically like, look, we're going to sign you and if you read what Dorsey said and listen to it, I mean, Dorsey laid it out. He's going to have to work for every inch of time and, and every inch that he's going to get on the field.
2: What if I tell you I don't think he's going to be with the Browns? Here's
3: my theory. I think I know what you're going to tell me, but go ahead.
2: They got Kareem Hunt, one of the best players in the NFL. Cheap bargain basement prices. Yep. He now is signed by the Browns, and if he, depending on his suspension, he is with the Browns till 2021. Yep. They control his rights for nothing, for a million dollars.
3: Nothing. And, and if you look at it, if you look at the way that the contract is structured, which they had it out earlier this week, he's not even on pace to make that much Bingo. money. So
2: here's my point. Here's what happens. Who needs... A game changer. Pittsburgh. Who needs to replace Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown? (laughs) Who needs to replace them? So Ah. here is my, here is my, and I've actually sent this to John Dorsey and sent this to Mary Kay Cabot and sent it to other people because here's what I think should happen. And maybe John Dorsey's already thought of this—a three-team deal, All right? Antonio Brown, we know, is gone. He's he doesn't want to be in Pittsburgh. He's already said goodbye. I know there's supposed to be a meeting coming okay. up, but that ain't good. That's not going to change a thing. Okay. So they don't want that headache, but they need a game changer. They, they need so. Cleveland Trades gives Pittsburgh Kareem Hunt and a third round, one of their third round picks in this year's draft to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh turns around and sends to New York Giants Antonio Brown. The New York Giants then send
3: Odell Beckham Jr. To the Browns. To the Browns. It's a brilliant trade. And, it, and every party ends up happy. Bingo! Because the, Bingo. Steelers, the Steelers would get a playmaker. The Browns would get the receiver that they want to take the top off the defense. right? And then they could really focus on other things in the and draft. And New York gets the best receiver to replace the best receiver. They do. Well, in figuring that they'll take a quarterback with their first pick. Bingo. They'll probably take Dwayne Haskins. And then Haskins has a nice toy to throw to when he comes to the NFL. Absolutely. I, I do want to say, and, and I I just I, I don't want to belabor the point of it, but I think as sports go as a whole, and I didn't get to say this this week on air, I think that sports need to be better allies to um, women and to situations of domestic violence. As I said, yeah, I, I feel like so often... So often, we read about players who, again, they're not getting off scot-free, but they're getting off with very little punishment.
2: Well, look at look at who was the running back from the Ravens. I don't even know his Ray, name. Anymore. Ray Rice. He was only going to get a two-game suspension until the video came out. I know. So w- what the heck? I, I mean, you know, but but we also have to realize the dilemma faced by the owners of pro teams because the kareem hunts of the world are rare and they help you win they do and 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 so now it becomes well what do i do it's a business you know basically if it wasn't for the media they would turn their backs on everybody we got calls do you want to take these i'm i'll take them blind i'll take them blind what's your name please yeah. Yeah. What's your name?
5: <laughs> Mike. I got a. I got to answer all three NASCAR questions.
2: Well, no, we don't have that yet. I know it's it's just kind of funny. Ricky Bobby from Talladega and <laughs> 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 That's funny. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> have a good one. What's your name, please? Dave. Dave, what's up?
0: Hey, I I was just talking about the domestic violence. You know, it's bad everywhere you go, but... Turn down
2: your radio. Turn down your radio, please.
0: I worked for the uh, railroad for over 20 years, and we had a lot of guys that was charged with that. And uh, they never got suspended from the railroad. The only thing they ever had, everything... The only thing they ever got out of it was they had to take the vacation time if they had to do any jail time. They never got suspended uh, or anything like that. So I, I, I think it's... Like I said, I mean they didn't like it happen, but you know with the union contracts and stuff, the now everybody gets a second and third chance on everything, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: And sometimes I think the NFL or MLB or M, NBA is, with a microscope. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't do it. He did do. He did do it. He,
2: well, obviously.
0: Yeah, and he got caught doing it. But you, people, you can't tell me that, that that people can't be rehabilitated. That's how they acted domestic violence, anything else, you could kill somebody. And they say, okay, he served uh, 14 years, he did his time.
2: That's a good you know point. I
0: mean? You know what I mean? But I just thought I'd put that out there. I
2: appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. He raises a good question. You know, people do commit murder, and they yeah. go to jail for a while, and people say he's safe now to come out. Well, And, and, and that's ab- taking a life.
3: Well, and absolutely. They're, they're, the great thing about this world is that you can get the opportunity Have a second chance. You can get the opportunity to, again, I guess, rehabilitate yourself. The question is for me, when is sports going to take domestic violence and make it a more serious offense than I was caught smoking pot or I was caught with a drug?
2: Well, thank God for TMZ, because if it wasn't for TMZ and the video surfacing, It would be swept under the rug still. I know. Ray Rice would have had a two-game suspension. Yeah. None of this stuff would have happened. The NFL hand was forced by TMZ and by surveillance cameras. Don't these guys know that there's cameras everywhere now?
3: I'll never forget the day that that video came out and Roger Goodell said at a press conference, well, we need to evaluate things further. And I said, what the hell is there to evaluate? (laughs) There is a video of him smacking his wife and then dragging her off an elevator. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and as I was telling you earlier, too, that this is the second move. And again, I don't know what the Browns, you know, overall motive is in this. And if they do have a plan for a trade, if they do, then John Dorsey should win GM of the year for that. But bottom line is this, is that this is the second hire that they've made this offseason or the second move they've made bringing in Mike Prefer as the special teams coordinator. He was the person with the Minnesota Vikings a few years back who made a very homophobic slur, like an extremely homophobic slur. And again, like people can be rehabilitated. They can change, but like as I said, athletes and pro sports in my mind need to do a better job of being better allies towards people that fall in that line
2: all right now we're going to get in later on we're going to talk about fact we may do that after nine o'clock but i want to get into this governor of virginia who allegedly was seen in a picture wearing blackface next to another student at the school where he went dressed as a klansman and he is still in office and how do understand
3: how that's possible
2: how does this happen and and so i mean people nowadays i'll tell you what i i don't know how because people d- dig up stuff that you did when you were stupid teenager now and and come back and nail you on it later on you cannot B, because of social media, because of everything, uh, and, and the surveillance cameras everywhere, you can't do any of this stuff. And and thank God, I'm glad. You know, you shouldn't be able to kick and punch anyone, let alone yeah. a woman, especially being 215-pound pro athlete. That was a, absurd. But, but, do you get a chance to make to have a second chance?
3: That's a great question.
2: And, and so, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just, um, I, I think something's amidst. I think something is going to happen. And I would, I have, I, I want to be, if it were me, that three-team deal would be done right now. It'd be done right now. And we'd have Odell Beckham, Jr.
1: It's the week that was with Joe Palmasolo.
2: You know, I... Kids Fest is going on right now, or getting ready to go on right now. And Pam Cook has been there setting up. She's been... I think she was there last night setting up. She's there now overseeing everything, and... Her and Marianne, McAllister, and the whole crew. I think John's going over there in a little bit, too. Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, Everybody's here, Joe.
2: Everybody. And you're... Not
4: for you, but that's okay.
2: Is this... Well, yeah, because I'm here. Right. (laughs) Now, what is this? Is this the fourth, fifth, sixth?
4: Fourth annual. Fourth annual. Fourth annual, yes. And I can't believe it, because it feels like just yesterday when you climbed the rock wall.
2: I know. I know and couldn 't climb it I know i couldn 't reach my hand over to that other side. I think I could do it now though i 'm much more agile.
4: they kept asking me to climb it, and I said, you know i 'm afraid of heights that 's my issue. I feel like i 'm fit enough, but probably I would start to cry when I got to the top. you know what
2: it is it is really you forget you have that harness around you,
4: yeah that 's true,
2: and you do get you do get a little i right? i'm i 'm I'm afraid of heights, too. So, y- yeah, you forget you have it on. But, Pam, this thing, you've got uh, instruments to play, a petting zoo. You've got uh, the the DeVille Apartments bounce bonanza. Half a football field of inflatables. You've got farm animals. You've got uh, uh, Wishes Can Happen, Kid Karaoke Stage. All kinds of stuff going on.
4: There's so much going on, and everybody's here setting up right now. We did set up the big items there's also omg which is it's a station where you can sit down and play like xbox 360 and we and i kept thinking oh joe could come over here you would beat all the children i know you would oh in
2: football in madden <laughs> definitely man i mean and, uh yeah Go ahead. Up on
4: the stage, um, um, you know, our friends at Canton Baptist Temple, I mean, they come through, and they have put this jungle. And I put this on Facebook. If you want to check it out, I put a video on Facebook of these jungle animals that are up there. And there will also be an exotic petting zoo where you can go up and see exotic, exotic animals. You know, like the scary snakes and
2: reptiles. I'm not petting I mean, a snake
4: things like that, and but they also have Camp Chop Raceway, which is an indoor racetrack, um, and there's a lot of smaller booths with games and prizes and all kinds of cool stuff. When's it open? It opens at 11 this morning. We're okay. at the Canton Civic Center, by the way. It opens at 11. It goes until 4, and it's a little different this year. It's five for $5 for adults and $3 for kids. And that three dollars for kids gets you unlimited bouncy house. You don't have to pay extra for that. So. Unlimited
2: um, bouncy house?
4: Yes. No. I know. <laughs> how you how you
2: how'd you manage that?
4: I don't know. We just decided everybody's been so gracious and coming to the Civic Center over the last three years that we'd uh Kind of step it up a little bit this year and work that out so it's been i mean it's been awesome and this is this is the best yet you have to come over and see it and if you're and people always ask about parking, um you know you can park in the perimeter you can park all around, but um there is another event going on at the cultural center that uh, the parking deck is charging i think six dollars to park in the parking deck, so you may or may not want to do that, but you can also um you know just park all around the area there's plenty of places to get to and then uh, just come on into the Civic Center. So I'm excited about now, it. really excited about it.
2: Well, that's uh, it's awesome, and that's another great thing that WHBC does that often goes unnoticed. That yeah, so love, many you know, community yeah. events, and this is a big one because kids have been cooped up all year. Yeah, I mean, all yeah. winter.
4: And there's also, we have a, scaven- a doggy scavenger hunt that's um, sponsored by Akron Children's Hospital. And there's also a giveaway by... Um, canton baptist temple for the adults you can win a 500 hundred dollar gift card uh in the doggy scavenger hunt did you tell that story about the dog warning yet
2: no i'm going to
4: okay all right i won't say i won't ruin it for you no i didn't just ruin it did i no
2: (laughs) is john going to come over is he going to be the bouncer at the bouncy house
4: (laughs) he is going to be the bouncer at the bouncy house
2: i (laughs) wonder if they do things like uh, if he has to go over to kids who have been there for like three hours bouncing because it's unlimited and say, excuse me, I think you've had enough, and cut him off and make him, him leave. Cut him off
4: and get him a cab home.
2: Yeah. Do <laughs> they have to do, is John doing that?
4: No, well, you don't know, actually there's a time limit each time you go in. So oh, there everybody is? Everybody gets a turn, yeah. You've had everybody a little bit too much. Turn.
2: You've had a little bit too much to bounce, Sarah. Yes,
4: <laughs> hey, I got to I got to say something before I forget. What? And, and forgive me if I'm repeating something that somebody already mentioned to you. I heard John mentioning about um about Bill Belichick and this was the anniversary was
2: yesterday. I, I did that.
4: Yes, you you mentioned it, but then John said people were saying something about that on Twitter yesterday. What they were saying was it wasn't actually the Browns that fired him. It was the Ravens.
2: Oh.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they had become but, the Ravens. And but he was fired. Him. Yes, he was fired,
2: yeah. yeah. By the Ravens. By, By the Art Ravens. Modell.
3: Yeah, that was yeah. the beauty of Twitter yesterday, Pam, is that everyone was saying that it was factually incorrect, but nobody was actually saying why it was factually well, I saw, incorrect.
4: That's where I saw it. I saw the factually incorrect being the Ravens.
2: Pam, while I've got you, what do you think about my three-way trade?
4: Your three-way trade isn't going to work for the Steelers because they're not taking uh, Mr. Hunt. They're not doing it. Why? <clears throat> they will not do that. Joe, you know better than that. That's like, I mean, <sighs> you know. That's All right. just, they're just, I mean, I think there's a. So there's, what
2: happens when it happens? What are you going to do? You're going to say I'm brilliant uh, on the uh, air?
4: No, never. I can't do that. <laughs> but I will say it privately. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: Actually, I saw rumors yesterday that the Steelers are one of the top people for OBJ.
2: Well, see, they, they, they and it could be could be
4: i mean they're gonna they're gonna sign Le'Veon bell to his transition tag more than likely they're gonna transition him just so they can either a get the uh draft pick and match an offer if they want to um but they also so if they do end up signing him it could be a sign and trade deal so that's another thing they're looking at so
3: right. i think i, really I, I don't think, know i really think kareem hunt would look great in black and gold i do too yeah
4: yeah yeah, guys, sorry. <laughs> that was your bad look. Just like I oh, think Odell
3: Beckham Jr. would look great in brown and orange.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's
3: yeah, so true. I think it could happen.
4: Yeah. Oh, and you know what the other thing I wanted to Wait, what, Pam? I'm sorry, I'm just going to... No, go on.
2: ahead. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm the week sorry, that was I'm with Pam Cook. <laughs> <ahead. laughs> yes,
4: exactly. Oh, it's either you or... Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> come on. Okay, listen, here's the deal. Um, You were mentioning to your dentist. I'm so glad he was kind enough to fit you in there. Yeah. Um, But when you said to him, I'm not letting John podcast or stream this. Um, Podcasting and streaming are the audio version. I know. John will do that.
2: I know. I'm sorry. sorry. I know. I knew I made that mistake. I knew.
4: (laughs) It's Facebook Live. I
2: know. Okay.
4: You're not letting him Facebook Live.
2: Thank you for... Correcting that.
4: I just wanted to make. No, I way. think
2: it's important for people to understand the difference between streaming, podcasting, and Facebook Live.
4: Yes, yes, absolutely. That was
2: crucial to this show.
4: It is crucial because the more <laughs> listeners you get, the better. No matter how you
2: get. Them. All right. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so right, much. Well, if he, he gets them. One
4: more time. One more time. Let me just say, Kid Fest, Canton Civic Center, five dollars for adults. Three dollars for kids 11 a.m to 4 p.m there's entertainment prizes food you can just come and have a great time with the kids today
2: you're going to be there the whole time
4: i will be here till four o'clock i'll actually be in the ticket booth so when you come on in come say hi to me
2: and it includes of all bouncy houses
4: yes that's the price that includes the price
2: that's going to be awesome
4: yeah hey have fun
2: fun. fun. pam climb the wall thank you so much climb the wall
4: Climb the
2: wall? Climb the wall. Uh,
4: I have an affinity against walls, but
2: that's okay. <laughs> 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 that was Bob. You're my favorite, Pam. Have a great one. She, she,
3: she set you up for that. <laughs> I one. know, I know,
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. We'll talk about walls when we come back. Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, we're going to.
1: We'll be back with more Joe Palmisano right after this. Now, back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC.
2: Now, another big story that took place this past week was Uh, President Trump saying that he will sign the spending bill to avoid another shutdown, so that's not going to happen, but at the same time, he declared a state of emergency, um, declared a national emergency to build the wall. He basically is taking uh, $8 $8 billion and he's not taking this from places that are absurd he's taking it from places that from departments that actually are affected by a wall that's being built. You have to ask yourself this I've said this earlier on other shows Nancy Pelosi Chuck Schumer President Obama, Hillary Clinton, all voted for a wall, a barrier on the southern border at different times in their political career, mostly when President Obama was president. I've played you cuts of, of all of these people saying, we have to have a wall. We have to control immigration. So you have to ask yourself, are people against the wall are they against the wall or barrier because it's President Trump now the money that's being taken that he has said he's already said where the money's coming from 1.37 billion dollars from Homeland Security appropriation bill so from Homeland Security, this is part of Homeland Security, building a barrier. $600 million from the Treasury Department's Drug Forfeiture Fund. Now, I'm going to tell you this. This goes hand-in-hand hand with El Chapo was convicted this past week. Finally, and sentenced to life in prison uh, at the maximum security prison. It's called the... the uh, Alcatraz of the Rockies so that he will never escape but 14 billion dollars was taken by the US government in this conviction he for they they took drug money that was on that it was was from him and have it so, $600 million from the Treasury Department's Drug Forfeiture Fund is nothing. Actually, he could take more from the Drug Forfeiture Fund. He's going to take $2.5 billion from the Department of Defense Drug Interdiction Program. So, if you build a wall and you build it effectively, you're going to cut down, hopefully, on... Drugs coming into our country. Which would make sense that if you take money from there, you don't need it as much to enforce. And $3.6 billion from the Department of Defense's military construction account. So basically that would equal about $8 billion. That comes from other areas where we're spending the money anywhere. Remember, we've spent upwards of 23 trillion dollars since the war on drugs began and it's done nothing do we have an emergency at the southern border I would say when you look at all the deaths overdose deaths drug addiction the amount of people pouring into our country that are criminals, that are part of MS-13, that are part of the cartels, that are other people that are being brought in here. Yes, there is a problem. For those families who truly want asylum, for those families who truly want to come here, come appropriately. Apply, get in. Come to the country, but can we afford to have people just pour into our country without having a a unified way a a uniform way of doing it? so I agree with this a hundred percent I've agreed with the wall a hundred percent I think. Anybody in their right mind, if you give it a good thought, understands that immigration must take place in an orderly, legal fashion for any country. And so I think this is a right move. There's all kinds of legal consequences to it, and we'll talk more about it when we come back. Stay tuned. The week that was, we'll continue. We'll be back
1: with more Joe Palmasano right after this
4: a't don't, oh, no
1: don't sit this one out here's Joe Palmasano on News Talk 1480 WHBC
2: I'd love some sunshine on a cloudy day now I wanted to get into this law what what exactly did President Trump do the National Emergencies Act this was uh, put in place in 1976 Uh, whether Congress should have ever abdicated its role but they did in 1976, Congress basically abdicated its role as the people holding the money to the president. And over 60 times since that time, presidents have called a state of emergency. 60 times. It has never been thrown out. <coughs> The law basically gives a very wide, broad, and undefined term of emergency to the President of the United States. And like I said, no court, no judge has really ever succeeded in overturning, they will try in this case. There are many now that are doing it. But most judges have avoided, because of the fact that it's so broad and undefined, that it has never really been challenged a whole lot. So that is the law that President Trump is using, that presidents before him 60 times, over 60 times, have used for different reasons that they consider an emergency. Now, like I said, whether you think it's right or wrong, Congress should have probably never done that. That wasn't their job. They abdicated their role at that point. <clears throat> so now to come back and say, we don't think you can do this, is wrong. It's it's just not, allowed at this point so we know that he had just like presidents before him the right to do this whether now the next question is Is do you consider our southern border and these caravans of people and the drugs that are pouring into our country and the and the overdose deaths that are piling up and getting more and more each year, and gang members coming into our country and all the things that are going on, a state of emergency in our country. That's what you have to, that's where it really comes down to. Do you consider it an emergency? The sheriff, over 3,000 sheriffs from around the country this past week warned lawmakers about illegal immigration. 3,000 sheriffs. They went on to say in this letter to Congress and to others that approximately they the, the, the quote from uh, the sheriffs Approximately 72% of ICE's current detention population is subject to mandatory detention due to the alien having certain convictions or having committed certain acts. Over 90% of ICE's arrests are aliens who have a criminal conviction, have been arrested for a criminal offense, or have been previously removed. Now, we hear about the kids. We hear about the families. We hear about all this stuff because that's what the media wants the narrative to be. But sheriffs from across the country sent this letter and said over 90% of the arrests at the southern border have a criminal conviction, have been arrested, this is, I'm quoting from their letter, have been arrested for criminal offense or have been previously removed. Now, this was an emergency that 10 years ago, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, well, Nancy Pelosi didn't, I'm going to be honest with that. She did not. Hillary Clinton many more, President Obama considered this a crisis at our southern border. Now, for political reasons, they, they say President Trump did this emergency wall for political reasons, but these people all, all declared that there was a crisis on the southern border within the last 10, 15 years. And now are saying, no, there isn't. Let's just keep it open and let's just keep dealing with the drugs. Let's keep dealing with the gang members. Let's keep dealing. Let's keep ignoring what these 3,000 sheriffs are saying about the people that are arrested at the southern border. So, the questions you have to ask yourself about this whole thing and what happened this week is. Do we have a crisis on the southern border? And is President Trump following the precedent of of other presidents before him who declared this national emergency 60 times? Why is he different than anybody else? Because he's President Trump because we have to fight against everything that he does. Whether it's right or wrong. Even though we said it was right 10 years ago. Now it's wrong. I I agree with this. You're probably not surprised. But I've said all along that the border needs to be, we need to have a... a a way for people to come into our country properly and the way to keep drugs out of our country and a way to, to make them have to go through certain checkpoints to get into the country. Why should we have open borders? What is the point? It makes no sense especially not with what's going on down in Mexico right now. And in the, in the southern hemisphere of our of our country, our continent. South America and the and Central America and what's going on there. All right. When we come back, I want to get in with John about this uh, governor of Virginia. I want to talk to him about this whole thing about him staying on. Black face wearing black face in a picture what what is allowed? You know i I think this is there there are certain cases to me, this was reprehensible because this was a guy with a black face with white lips, the old traditional stupid thing, with a guy standing next to him with a clan face on, or clan costume on. So let's get into that. We'll, we'll talk about that. I'm going to get John's opinion on it, too, when we return. Stay tuned. And now,
1: here's Joe Palmasano on News Talk 1480, WHBC.
2: Yes, it is. John, 34% of Americans say... According to a Pew Research survey this past week, 34% of Americans say blackface is acceptable if it's part of a costume. Yeah, I
3: don't don't understand that at all.
2: All right, let me ask you a question. Yes. If you dress up like an Italian, (laughs) like Father Guido Sarducci, is that okay?
3: No, I guess it's not, probably.
2: Okay. Well, I'm asking. No, I mean... If you I, dress up as anything at a costume party, if you dress up as an Indian with a f- bead in your head or something... Yeah, that- that's not okay. Okay.
3: It's like I was at a, a game a couple weeks ago, and I won't say who was playing, but um, a kid showed up and he was wearing a Native American costume. And he was a very white kid and you was, thought that was wrong and i was thinking to myself that's just feels wrong so we
2: shouldn't dress up in costumes anymore because really you're going to offend somebody what if i dress up as a pirate or a gypsy what if i dress up as a gypsy now i'm going to say this i think this guy should resign this governor i think blackface and i'm going to agree with you I was just pl- trying to play devil's no, advocate I you with were. you. But blackface, wearing blackface is is flat out wrong. Wrong. I agree. Um, I think it's, it's demeaning, especially when you're standing in a picture next to a Klansman. Now, this governor came out and apologized for it at first. Immediately came out and apologized. And then said, oh, it wasn't me. After he apologized, yeah.
3: Now, really, yeah, and, you can't and, you can't have it both ways in that case. You know, <laughs> you either apologize or you you don't backtrack on what you said.
2: And, and he said he's not going anywhere. And and you know what? And I'm going to ask you this: If this were Republican,
3: it wouldn't matter to me.
2: Oh no, it wouldn't matter to you. But it'd be all over the media.
3: I mean, it's it, there's a lot of people talking yeah, about.
2: it. Yeah, but he's still in. He'd have been gone by now. He'd have been gone by now. And then he comes out and says he's on TV. And he's doing an interview. And he's called slaves indentured
3: servants. Indentured servants. That that phrasing hasn't been used in a long time.
2: uh, Well, that's that's almost an indentured servant was somebody who owed somebody money. Say I'm in Ireland or somewhere and i want tra- i want to come to the united states and i don't have the money to do it and so people would kind of become servants of people slaves weren't indentured servants they couldn't pay off their debt and leave they weren't they weren't brought over here in in steerage they were brought over here in the it chained to the bottom of ships
3: I was actually watching last night, and I know it's probably not a program that you watch, but I was watching Bill Maher last night. I watched Bill Maher. Okay, and and I was, and he was Maher, Maher yeah. And I was very, um, I was. It was interesting because he had a panel, and everyone on the panel was was liberal, and uh, they were all saying that that Ralph Northam should not be the governor of Virginia anymore. He should resign. He should take himself out of office. Well then his 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 right hand man also did it, I mean, I know yeah when I guess here's my question for you when in our history have the top three choices in a state for governor all had a scandal surrounding them at literally the same time within the same week, yes, not even the same time, like. One after the other, it was like Monday. He was like, "Well, I dressed in blackface." Tuesday, the guy was like, "Well, I had a sexual assault case." And then Wednesday, the guy was like, "Well, I guess since we're we're all doing it, and adult life is weird enough as it is, you know, I I dressed in blackface as well."
2: Yeah, it, it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre, and they all should step down. But the question then becomes: When will the people of Virginia rise up? And have this guy gone. And and you know, to come out and apologize and then say, okay, no, no, no it wasn't me. I wasn't in that well, of course, that's a great thing to say because obviously his face is disguised, but that wasn't me. That was somebody else. But it's but it but I apologize for it already. I and then he should be thrown out for calling slaves indentured servants by comparing them to indentured servants, which is not even close to what's African Americans, what what slaves went through coming to this country. They couldn't escape. They were slaves for life. They weren't indentured servants. How ridiculous is that? Bill Maher, by the way, used to come to my clubs when I owned comedy clubs. Bill Maher was a comedian. That came to my club. Really? Did he? So I watch Bill, even though you say it's a TV show I would not watch. No,
3: I was just thinking. Like
2: I don't have liberal friends, and I don't watch liberal shows. No, I didn't. I just said it because
3: I know that that we have different political leanings. So, I mean, I, I suppose you could watch it. I didn't know it was it was it was it was poor judgment of me to assume. Yes,
2: you assumed. You assumed.
3: But I, anyway. I, just, I guess I look at it like this. I don't care when it was or when you did it, you know, unless we're talking about like, you know, way, way back, like in the 1920s when like I suppose things like this were like accepted. But like if you did this in the 1980s or in the 1970s or even the 60s. For that matter. All right, that's, a, a, that's a problem. I, I just I don't get how somebody could think that blackface and a klansman next to him is an okay costume.
2: That's not. It like, is I, just, it's I don't get how but let me ask you another question. If a guy dresses up like Bob Marley because he loves Bob Marley, so he browns his face out a little bit, is that okay? No, I really don't agree with that. I don't think that's cool either. But he's dressing as a person joy behar you know who joy behar is
3: i know the name
2: she's on the view she's very liberal all right she actually dressed she actually dressed she was um in 2016 she dressed as a quote her term beautiful african woman at a halloween party she was 29 So she she dressed as a as a a black woman, African American woman, Joy Behar.
3: When was that that she did that?
2: And uh, she was twenty nine years old. Okay. Well, okay. So it was it wasn't two thousand sixteen. It was beyond that. Yeah. She she announced it in two thousand sixteen.
3: Again, though, not right. I mean, it's never right. I mean, anytime anybody's done that. I so,
2: mean, so basically, but what we're saying is, it's not right to do it to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. So then, Halloween should be gone.
3: What do you dress up as? Well, but there's a, a box. Different... <laughs> a twig. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there's a difference to me between like, if you dress up <laughs> as something like, in blackface or if you dress up like as like a character from a TV show. What? Well, well no I, I'm saying well, like I'm saying like I'm saying like not like Well Bob Marley. Well but I'm saying that you don't wear blackface to make your character. Like I'm saying if you're if you're a white person and you dress up as like a white person from a TV show, I suppose that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean but if you're a white person you you shouldn't dress up as anything that has to have you dark well, in your face. Well what about
2: a uh, can a black person w- dress up like a white person? I don't know, probably not okay I
3: mean it's just it's a it's no, I mean a, you and
2: I both agree that that wearing blackface is absolutely out of it, it's it, reprehensible it, yeah, yeah, uh, but does it work always is there's a kind of a slippery slope here there's kind of a slippery slope when you start saying let's 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 ban you can't dress as any so when i dress as guido sarducci i dressed one year as a rocker a like a 1980s rocker i could have offended someone i could have offended a 1980s rocker that was maybe upset that i dressed like him
3: yeah but if you dress as guido sarducci it's part of your culture part of your heritage just yep. like if i dresses but a priest might have been mad just like if i dresses like the baklava man it's not a real thing but let's say it was it's a great children's cartoon in greece let's say it was people wouldn't find it offensive cuz okay. i'm greek this is interesting though isn't it no no it is because it it opens up an interesting question as you said this is a this is a situation where not to use the term, but it's not just black and white. There is a a gray area in there. And and what was
2: this guy thinking when he did that? What would cause a person to wear blackface with white lips and stand next to a Klansman in a costume? That is one area where there's not rehab rehabilitation. You have a character flaw that caused you to do that.
3: Well, and the thing is, last night is the person on on Bill Maher's show is that he said that the guy has changed over the years because he's good friends with him and i know you have to get to the news here but i don't think you can just change from that like you can't just like one day wake up and be like i'm gonna dress in blackface today and then the next day be like i love black people yeah like that's not how that works i agree
2: with you 100 because because yes i agree with you 100 i um in 1990 where was it 99 well anyway This past Monday was the anniversary of the greatest upset in sports, Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. And when we come back, we're going to speak live with John Johnson, the manager who was in Japan with Buster Douglas when he won that fight. We're going to speak to John Johnson live right after this.
1: Mike actually, his legs. Notice his legs in these wide shots. He doesn't have good bounce in his knees. Buster's legs actually look fresher to me. See Mike the way he went back in his heels. Doesn't have the good balance. His legs together. His busted landing. these... He's in big trouble, he may not be able to recover, it's up to seven and eight, he's not gonna make it! Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable! Buster Douglas is a new heavyweight champion of the world! This has got to be, it's gonna be one of the biggest upsets
0: in the history of boxing.
2: And that was the sound. 1990, February 11th, this past Monday, was the anniversary of the fight that rocked the world from the Tokyo Dome, and the man who was part of that, instrumental in uh, managing Buster Douglas during that time uh, was John Johnson, and John Johnson was a, a financier, a college football coach, a professional boxing manager, uh, an instrumental part of the greatest boxing upset ever, and John, you've your life is every bit as interesting as Buster Douglas. This was a convergence of two very interesting lives.
5: Yeah, kind of, kind of unbelievable, and you know we're working on a major motion picture that Mark Shardy actually we signed a deal. A long time ago, uh, with Vince Vaughn and Universal, and they never produced, they were supposed to produce it and didn't, and we finally out of the contract with them, actually, um, the first of November, and now we're with a guy named Mark Shardy, and Mark, uh, did, uh, The Miracle on Ice and Secretariat and, oh wow, Invincible and, uh, The Rookie, and he's really, uh, working hard to, to get the movie made, and that's uh, that's it, it. You know, it kind of goes around the fact that this crazy hillbilly boy <laughs> come up here from West Virginia and <laughs> was so blessed to uh, to uh, get involved into the high State football program uh, and learn everything he knows from from Coach Woody Hayes, and then got that phone call from Buster Douglas and uh, kind of the rest the history. And it's funny, when I was just listening to your, um, that play, play, by, play back up, uh, you know, it, it was like when Mike Tyson went down, he went down right in our corner. I could reach and touch him, you know, and so I jumped up and I cut my hands. I started yelling as loud as I could. Stay down, stay down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now you, uh, when like, you, like I was gonna,
5: <laughs> like I was gonna have some influence. I guess.
2: <laughs> well, you did. I and, I, uh,
5: and, then, and then, wait, just one second. All right, and go and ahead. Then the referee said, one,
2: two, <laughs> three. He didn't want to count him
5: uh, out. <laughs> <and I> was, <laughs> said, Come on. <laughs> Yeah, come on, come on, and um, and then actually when he hit seven, Mike turned over and tried to get his reaching for his mouthpiece, and I knew he wasn't going to. And, and that's when I knew we won. I, you know, I knew he wasn't going to get that mouthpiece and get up by ten, and so I really got ready to to get into the ring and celebrate and. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, but I, you know, I only know one person for sure that believed he was going to be Mike Tyson and you're talking to him for sure.
2: Yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Because I was going to ask you that. And when you listen to that, John, when you listen to that broadcast again and hear it, do you, do you still get goosebumps? Oh, yeah.
5: Yeah. It's, um. Or watch it it's it's um you know it had such a great impact uh on my life and my family's life and and uh you know uh yeah yeah it's uh it's kind of amazing you know because it's it really was i think in in uh if you've seen the thirty thirty that they did uh
2: yes 42
5: to one yeah um the the uh, odds maker out in in Vegas said that you know a lot of uh, and I always give when when I introduce Buster I always give um, uh, our hockey team our you know such great credit for beating the Russians mm-hmm. and I was shocked when he said that you know the odds on that was like three to one and I'm like you know I, that was, that just amazed me that. Uh, you know, I guess it was a lot of people felt that uh, our team would beat this, you know, but, but like I said, I always compare ours to the greatest upset in sports history, along with the hockey team beating the, the Russians.
2: Yeah, and and now you you didn't begin life with a silver spoon. I, I, you grew up in, in Red Jacket, West Virginia. Yeah. You were the yeah. son of a man who worked in the coal mines for over 40 years.
5: Yeah janitor after
2: that. Yeah, and how in the world did you go from that upbringing, you you were successful in finance, then you ended up getting on Woody Hayes' staff at Ohio State University. How how did that all happen?
5: Well, I'll tell you something funny about that, though. We had the 1968 uh, Ohio State National Championship team reunion, and I, I wasn't involved with in those guys, but I knew knew them really well because I started helping recruit in about '70. But the one guy said, "You know, JJ, they call me JJ. JJ's like like Forrest Gump."
2: <laughs> you are.
5: <laughs> he, he shows up everywhere.
2: <laughs> you are. I thought, uh, honest to goodness, when I read your your bio and everything, I, that's exactly what I thought, John. I thought uh-huh. you 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 are Forrest Gump. And, yeah,
5: uh, and, uh, yeah. Well, I think that's a compliment. Well, it is a compliment. For, he,
2: he, he, boy, now, how guy. how in the world does a guy... He run he, for president. <laughs> how in the guy was... How in, does a guy who was in finance gets on the staff at Woody Hayes with Woody Hayes at Ohio State coaching football? How'd you get... How'd you find your way into boxing?
5: Well, um when we were kids growing up in West Virginia, I always say that my dad, he, his his big thing was son, you're only as good as your word. That was his thing that I always remembered the most about him. You're only as good as your word. And my mom was, get a rock. <laughs> <The story laughs> get a rock. <laughs> <laughs> my method you get a rock. You know? <laughs> and we grew up, we had a little ring in our backyard and and we grew up it's crazy. I grew up with two dreams as a young boy. One was to be the heavyweight champion of the world because Rocky Marciano was the heavyweight champion of the world as I was growing up. And my grandfather's from Calabria.
2: And oh, okay.
5: So, you know, the fact, you know, the Italian heritage and stuff. And then the other, I seen Ohio State. We didn't have a TV, but I seen Ohio State play on television. And I wanted to play football at Ohio State. That was my dream, you know. And so, in 1957, after 40 years, um, the coal company laid, my dad was actually hurt and had some ribs removed from a mine accident. And he got laid off the mines. And we actually, it's kind of like a Beverly Hills, I guess, they, a guy that we knew, brought a coal truck and pulled it down in front of our house and they washed out the back of that coal truck and they put our furniture in that coal truck. Wow. And we came to Ohio because my older brother was coaching and teaching right in a little little town called Tyro, Ohio, which is uh, up around the uh, Bysiris, uh, Mansfield kind of area. And I ended up going to high school in Bysiris. And, and I'm uh, kind of famous for, after the fight, I got a phone call from the Besires Telegraph Forum and, Hey, we we just got back from Tokyo and I was tired and and the kid, kid, young guy called and says uh, you know Mr. Johnson I understand you uh, graduated from Bucyrus High School and so on I said yes and he said what do you think about Bucyrus and I said F Bucyrus <laughs> I'm real funny. <dumb. laughs> Yeah, mm. racist, you know, that man's field, Aryan, and all that, you know, that's, that's man, that's, uh, you know, that's the Aryan race, that's, uh, you know, the last black person hung was hung in Gallium, and so I'm I'm not the most popular person in,
2: <laughs> as,
5: as other places.
2: And I, you know. I, I wanted to get into, uh, Buster Douglas was what was considered before that fight probably a, 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 a journeyman. He had a lot of potential, but he would win some, lose some. You were his manager from, I think, 1984. hmm So you had been his manager for six years. When you got the call for this fight, to fight Mike Tyson, were you surprised? Were well, you-
5: no, what, what happened was we, the fight before that, we fought a, a, a Oliver McCall.
2: Okay, yeah. I remember him
5: and the deal was whoever wins that fight fights mike tyson okay and now it's like in august and august of night of yeah uh, what 2009 right and um so uh we won and so we started immediately we were supposed to fight mike tyson in october and so we we were training and Then Don called and said that they had changed their mind and Mike was going to fight Razor Ruddick in November uh, out in Saskatchewan, and we were going to fight on the undercard, and then we would fight the winner of that fight. And, you know, we didn't have anything signed, so, okay, fine, you know, so we kept training. And then, you know, probably late October or something like that, uh, Mike said that he... Had his ribs hurt in in training, and so that fight was canceled. And then then Don calls and said, "Hey, uh, you know, you're going to fight Mike Tyson in Tokyo in uh, in uh, February." And and of course that's what happened. And I always say, which is true, you know, the reason it happened in Tokyo is there nobody paid
2: one penny to see that fight in the United States, you know. But it was sold out there well it was forty five thousand it
5: sixty thousand and it took place at noon on sunday tokyo time uh you know it was a thirteen hour time difference and uh so yeah it was uh, you know
2: what was uh, different let me add, what was different about the way Buster Douglas trained for this fight versus the past because he was in in Incredible shape. He took an uppercut in the seventh round, I think, that that would have destroyed most people.
5: Uh, because we trained for so long, we basically trained for six months. Okay. Yeah, you know, we never stopped training from when we when we started training in volume in October. We basically never stopped training. And the other thing is too, hey yeah, you Mike Tyson, you're a little bit motivated to get your ass in shape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like fighting just anybody. Right. You know? you know he's coming to tear your tear your head off, you know, and so this did, did, combination thing I I definitely think that of course his you know, his mom died twenty three days before the fight and that was really an inspiration for him, uh and and so on. So he had a he had a lot of things going on there and and so he you know, he was he was ready mentally and physically to for the fight and so
2: he absolutely took the heart of Mike Tyson in that fight he took his I, heart I,
5: I i i disagree with that moment okay i I thought I thought if there's one thing that i and I went it was fifteen years or so after the fight before I ran into Mike tyson and it was out in las Vegas and me and a couple of my other fighters were, were walking through a guy down at the MGM at one of the hotels and and he was standing beside the, the guy and when I got up close, I really didn't know what his reaction was going to be because, I, you know, I'm the guy that said, hey, Buster's going to be his ass and all this stuff, you
4: know.
5: Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, well, you know, and he broke out and he had a big smile on his face. And I walked over to him, and we actually hugged each other. And I said, Hey, man, I love you. And I, I got greatest respect for you. I thought he, I, I, did, I you know, I was kind of famous for saying, We're going to knock him out, you know, and not only going to beat him, but we're going to knock him out. But I really didn't believe that. I, I, I believed that we were make him quit. I believed that we would take his heart after.
2: And you don't think he did? That.
5: No, no, no. He got up, he was half dead. When he got up, he was getting up to continue fighting. I mean, he, no, I mean, I mean, he took a beating. He took a beating for 30 minutes, you know, 10 rounds. I mean, he took a pounding and no, there's no, no quit in him. He kept on coming and, and so yeah. I didn't, you know, we just, we just physically, just physically beat him up and, and finally, uh, you know, Finally, stopped him. You know, as far as, as far as that's concerned. But no, I, I, I had the greatest respect for him after yeah. after the fight. Uh, that before, like I said, I thought this guy's a bully, and once he takes his, you know, butt whipping for six, seven rounds or so, he's gonna say, yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah. I quit." But but it, he, he didn't. Look, looking back, John. And my last question for you, really, is is looking back on this fight. The legend has actually grown over the years. What's what is your take on this moment, that moment in your life today? How do you look back on this?
5: Well, from a from a sport sporting standpoint, absolutely, it, it's number one. I mean, I I've had you know other things in my personal life with my family and my kids, my grandkids, and so on, and so forth. That that you know uh rank right up there but from a sporting standpoint that's uh you know that 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 and when we came back against Michigan uh, up at Michigan and, and beat them uh in 1975 I guess would be would be uh would be number 2 you know so yeah it it has had a great and it's going to further continue to to have a great impact on my life, you know. Like I said, we're we're working on getting a major motion picture done, and wow. and uh, I, you know, I, I've utilized it. I just I get up, and, and Wayne can tell you, I get up every day of my life, and I work hard to help people who really need help, who I will never know, and they'll never know me. And a, a couple months ago, I was I'm I'm very close with with Urban Meyer with coaching. He said to me, he said, You know, JJ, called me JJ. said, JJ, you know, I really admire you. I mean, you, you get up every day of your life, and da, I said, Look, it's a reward for me. It's a reward for me, you know, when you do stuff to help people that really need help, mm. that can help you back. You know, that's, that's a great reward uh, in itself. And so, uh, you know, I got a bucket list, and it includes uh Getting back to the world championship, I got a couple kids that that can really fight, uh, and uh, getting our movie made, and and raising lots and lots of money to help people that that really need help, and that's that's how my life goes right now. So,
2: well, Wayne Wayne Stanley, my ex teammate uh, and and my brother, uh, one of my closest friends in my whole life, uh, speaks very very highly of you and. John, I have to tell you this. My bucket list, one of my bucket lists, is to be ringside for a major championship fight. And I'm going to call on you when one of your (laughs) fighters gets to the point of being in a world championship fight because that's my number one bucket list. All right. I'll hold the water. I'll hold we the spit, can. the spit bucket. We, I don't care.
5: We can, we can make that happen. <laughs> I'll be happy to when we get there. In fact, one of my kids is from Cleveland. Is where he's from. That uh, I think has all just great potential to to get there. But it, it's a long process. It's just like you said. You know, with Buster, it was six years. A lot of yeah. people think what happened overnight. It didn't happen overnight. You know, we had six years of you know a lot of ups and ups and downs, you know, and and so on, that, uh, that we had to go through, and, and uh, you know, I, I, the, the funny story about it is, it, you know, Ed Skylar is a writer for the Associated Press, and he went over to cover the fight in Tokyo, and when he was going through customs, they said, what are you here for? And he said, to work, and they said, how long are you going to be working? he said, about a minute
2: and a half. <laughs> Because that's how long the fight would last. It not a lot, yeah.
5: So, but yeah. So,
2: John, yeah. I, I I thank you so much for right, spending buddy. time with me. I thank
5: you, and I, I'm like you. I love Wayne. He's uh he's really a great guy, and he's another guy that boy. He gets up every day and does stuff to help.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Great guy. Great yeah. Guy. So, well, thank you, and I, right, I man, and continue you. continue success, John. All right, buddy. Anytime. time. Thank you later. You. Bye Bye-bye. bye. John Johnson, manager of Buster Douglas in the fight that sent shockwaves across the world in 1990, September 11th, or February 11th.